If you're gay, then you're gay. Don't pretend that you're straight. You could be who you are any day of the week. You are unlike the others, so strong and unique. We're all with you. If you're straight, well, that's great. You can help procreate and make gay little babies for the whole human race. Make a world we can live in where the one who you love's not an issue. tuning in and welcome to the November 8th 2021 edition of IMRU Radio Magazine out front and out loud since 1974 striving each week to amplify the voices of the LGBTQIA2S plus communities I'm Frances O'Brien in Los Angeles almost every week we easily glide past the I in our initialism salad if it's unclear the I is for intersex and according to experts, around 1.7% of the population is born with intersex traits, comparable to the number of people born with red hair. Despite this, the term is still widely misunderstood, and intersex people are massively underrepresented. On this outing of IMRU, because we should, and because Intersex Awareness Day was October 26th, and Intersex Day of Remembrance is on November 8th, tonight we hear from several intersex folks about their experiences and lives, including a special chat from Outcasting, a new TTV conversation with Edie Gitto Meisner, and a classic conversation between Vash and author, producer, and intersex rights activist, Hida Vloria. <laughs> This is Vosh Vodi. It has been a very long time since a group of people on the planet have come together and declared themselves inherently different and in need of protection. I'm talking about the 1950s when Harry Hay and the Mattachine Society announced that gays and lesbians were different and deserved protection. Today, it's a different community. My special guest is Hida Valoria, artist, writer, and director of OII USA. Hi, Hida. Hi. Why don't you do this? Why don't you tell me how you identify yourself? I identify as a Latina intersex woman and writer, activist, human rights activist. And the word in that little phrase that probably most people aren't familiar with is intersex. So you identified yourself as intersex. Yes. I'm aware that back in 2006, this community that you're talking about was defined as having disorders of sexual development. Didn't that just take care of this? Well, I'm not sure what you mean by take care Neither of Neither do I. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard question. What are you... You're saying that you're a different people. Mm -hmm. And the medical community said 
that you just have disorders of sexual development. Why are you a different people? You're just like one of us. You mean normal men and women with a disorder? Yeah. Well, that's one way to look at it. And I think that was the intention, actually, of that label, is to ease parental discomfort with the idea that their child is intersex, which had implications with implied androgyny. It had associations with the LGBT community at that point. And so the idea was that this label would be preferable for parents. However, there have been major difficulties with the label. For example, I know one woman who started receiving medical treatment and being exposed to this label and after growing up, you know, with a fairly healthy self-esteem, she just kept hearing herself referred to as a disorder and she eventually ended up opting for surgery when she actually wouldn't have otherwise and now deeply regrets it. But she internalized this view of herself as having something wrong with her body. And I think that is what's deeply problematic. That and also the fact that while it may ease parental discomfort, it also facilitates the infant genital surgeries, which are typically called normalizing surgeries. And they are recommended in order to make our bodies more typically male or female. And everyone that I've spoken to, and there's just dozens of reports from adults who received these surgeries of how harmful they were. They are, in fact, very similar when they're done to intersex women like myself who have ambiguous genitals. They're the same surgeries that are now banned in the U.S. as female genital mutilation. And they often leave women anorgasmic, which means unable to have an orgasm. If not completely anorgasmic, they definitely decrease sexual pleasure. And not just that, they also leave people feeling scarred and as if something is wrong with them. You know, how can my parents do this? There must be something wrong with me if I need to endure this. So all advocates agree that we want these surgeries to end. We want to have the right to choose for ourselves whether or not we want to do anything to our bodies. But having us officially labeled as a disorder actually makes it possible for parents who aren't wealthy and need medical coverage to get coverage for this non-medically necessary procedure of these surgeries. So it's, in effect, facilitating the surgeries. What is intersex? Intersex people are born with, or sometimes develop in puberty, variations in biological sex. And that can look many different ways. It can be someone like me who's born with ambiguous genitals, or it can be people who are born with completely typical bodies but have a different chromosomal makeup that is not typical. There are variations such as XXY, XYY. There's people who are born with XY chromosomes, which are typically male, but look externally just like any other women. So they are labeled and raised as female, as you know one would think, because why would you label someone who looked female anything else? And yet, by the technical definition, having internal testes and XY chromosomes, they are not female by the technical definition. So we really make up a wide range of people who look very feminine, very masculine, and everywhere in between. So it's kind of impossible to lump us all together in a way. But what we do have in common is that we have sex traits which are different. And this is the reason that we are discriminated against. Wow. You are the physical forms of all of the chromosomal combinations that we know exist. Yes, exactly. Although I will say that there are chromosomal variations that make people more typically male or more typically female. 
Like there's triple X. Actually, I like that. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> There is an XXX chromosomal variation, and these women are not labeled intersex because they are more feminine, right? And so society doesn't see that as a problem. On the flip side, also men with an extra Y chromosome, XYY. Well, they actually they were for a while in the past said to be more.、Um, Like Spartans? No, no, no. Yeah, they were said to be more susceptible to be criminals <laughs> because you know they're overly masculine, and maybe that could go the wrong way. But they're also not labeled intersex. The real problem that society has is with people that break sex and gender norms, right? And that's why when it's detectable at birth, we often suffer. In Western nations, we are. Very often operated on in some way or receive some treatment which we did not request, and sometimes this is even sex reassignment at birth. So if an intersex boy is deemed to have a penis that's going to be too small to grow up to be a happy boy, he is actually given a sex change that he didn't ask for at birth.、Yeah. And the men I know that underwent this, they are all horrified, and they all actually went back to living as men. So it didn't work, you know. They they got castrated, they got shot up with hormones, and they were forced to try to live as a girl. They were given girls' names, and you know the parents are encouraged to to give them very strong gendering as women, and yet they go back to being men because that's what they felt inside all along. Fortunately, because of how humanity is evolving to understand and embrace diversity, rather than try to eliminate it, that's really helping us.、Mm-hmm. In the past, when I first started speaking about this, I'd get a lot of like, "Well, do the surgeries help?" Or it would be so hard to be this way. And now, actually, I rarely hear that at all. I hear people more often say, "Oh my God, why would people do that? Why would you operate on an infant's genitals? You don't even know what they're going to grow up to be." And that shift in mentality is a result of people really learning to recognize that we're all diverse. You know, you don't know what someone is going to grow up into, so let them grow up and decide for themselves. How would you differentiate trans community from the intersex community? Basically, intersex people are born with a physical difference that is either visibly perceivable, or is perceivable. If you run some medical tests, so that is the difference. We are born with bodies that fall outside of typical male and female norms. There is an overlap. There are some trans people who later discover that they are also intersex, right? But if we're not talking about this subgroup, you could say that trans people are born with typical male or female bodies, but don't identify as the gender that they're supposed to in those male or female bodies. The reason I want to really be clear is, since I am an advocate for the intersex community, it's really lovely to look at the way that our very existence troubles the binary. I think that's wonderful for society. But what we sadly experience way too often is professors teaching about intersex people, and yet they don't even mention the fact that right now, every single day, an intersex baby. Is undergoing a human rights violation. This brings us to really why you are here. This is Vash Bodhi talking with intersex person and activist Hita Valoria. Something truly revolutionary has just happened. The intersex community got together and did what? We had the third international intersex forum, and so we published a statement. It's 
just simply called the Statement by the Third International Intersex Forum. And it is a statement of our demands as a community. It's telling the world this is what we want. And it is compiled by 30 intersex advocacy organizations from every continent in the world, except Antarctica. (laughs) And so this is really a consensus statement on what intersex advocates want, what the community as a whole agrees that we want and need. I've been referring to it as a manifesto. Yeah. yeah. A declaration of who you are, that you exist as a people, and then what your demands are. Why don't you tell me some of the key salient points within this statement? Well, the first one is to put an end to mutilating and normalizing practices such as genital surgeries, psychological and other medical treatments through legislative and other means. So just like female genital mutilation was banned, we want intersex genital mutilation to be banned as well. That should not be something that ever happens non-consensually, period. I believe that we as spirits experience our bodies, this plane, through sexual pleasure. Mm -hmm. and through intense emotion. Mm -hmm. Everything else we go through, you can reduce it to that. So doing what people are doing to the intersex community is actually severing the ability for the spirit to have a full experience in this plane, and it has to stop. Beautifully put. I love that. I'm going to quote you on that. Um, so the the second thing is to put an end to pre-implantation genetic diagnosis, prenatal screening and treatment, and selective abortion of intersex fetuses. There's also these prenatal drug treatments that are harmful both to the mother and the infant, and those are still going on. It's a drug called dexamethasone or DEX, D-E-X. And there's a lot written on that, which is great. That needs to end as well. And then put an end to infanticides and killing of intersex people. I know I see your face of shock. Oh, and the last one that I think is really important is that as a community, we agree that we need to depathologize intersex variations. In other words, no more disorders of sex development or DSD, as it's known. That is harmful. It portrays us as inherently inferior. It's been done to the other members of the LGBTI community, as we know, right? Homosexuality used to be a psychosexual disorder. Trans used to be gender identity disorder. And we are still currently a disorder. And we want that to end as well. Those are the main things. We basically just want equal human rights. Absolutely. Now that this statement has come out, what are the next steps for you and the intersex community? Well, we are working at our different capacities all around the world to basically work with either legislators, the medical community, parent groups, anyone who has a hand in how we are treated to push for these non-consensual practices to end and to push for anti-discrimination legislation, which would affect people where these practices don't even exist, right? That is really the next step. We need serious legislation to protect our human rights. Unfortunately, it is a step that takes time, right? Like we see the LGBT community, it started its movement earlier than we did, 30 years before ours did, back in the 60s. And only now is anti-discrimination legislation happening in some parts of the world. So I understand, and many others understand, we're in this for the long haul. It's a process, but it's happening, and that's where we're going. I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that it happens as quickly as possible. Ah, Thank you. How do people get in touch with you? OII-USA.org. That is the organization. There is a pamphlet called Brief Guidelines for Intersex Allies, available on the website, oii-usa.org, and also one called Your Beautiful Child Information for Parents. Both are wonderful resources, whether you're a parent or just someone who wants to be an ally, to really get educated and learn how to spread the word.
Where can people find this full statement? The easiest way is to just Google Third International Intersex Forum Statement, and it comes up on the ILGA website. That's ILGA.org. And it's also on OII USA's website, OII-USA.org. Fantastic. How do you feel about being you right now? I love it. (laughs) I feel really blessed. I feel so blessed that I'm not living in a place and time where it's dangerous to be who I am. And I feel like I'm, I'm making the most of it. I know that there are people, and I've, I've met some of my colleagues, that, that it's not safe for them to be out about who they are. So I think it's a real blessing and a gift. I'm blessed that I didn't receive these mutilating, normalizing surgeries, and I'm allowed to live intact as I am. And basically, I'm going to take that gift and use it to spread love and acceptance as much as I can, you know, to be a voice to tell people like we do actually exist. The world is not just male and female. And that is beautiful and perfectly okay. Well, know that you always, always have a friend in me and I will do anything that I can to help this cause. Oh, thank you, Vosh. It's Uh, wonderful to have allies like you. And I feel it. I know it. (laughs) (laughs) So you heard it here first, everyone. The intersex community on the planet They are organized, they have a statement saying that they need to be recognized, and they need your help to reach full equality. This is Vosh Bodhi. Remember, if you have a story to tell, TTV, talk to Vosh. We'll be right back, right after this quick break, so don't go away. Keith Haring's Bathroom Mural, coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. Pop artist Keith Haring painted one of his signature pieces in 1989, just nine months before he died of AIDS. At the invitation of the Lesbian and Gay Community Services Center in New York City, Haring painted a mural in its second floor restroom, titled Once Upon a Time. The mural has been described as a playful, graphic, homoerotic, black-and-white cartoon depiction of sexual activity and desire. After years of wear and tear, peeling paint, and cracking walls, the mural was in jeopardy. But with an October 2012 donation, the center completed a $25,000 cleaning and restoration of the mural. This included stripping the restroom of its toilets, sinks, and stalls, and fitting it out as a meeting room. Viewing the mural was open to the public in March 2012. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns at WRIR in Richmond, Virginia, and read by volunteers like me, Sean Henry. Hi, I'm Chaz Bono, and you're listening to IMRU Radio Magazine, out loud and proud since 1974. Welcome back. I'm Frances O'Brien, and you're listening to IMRU Radio Magazine. We are conditioned to think of sex in binary terms. People are either male or female, one or the other. But nature is rarely, if ever, binary. Next, Outcaster Andrea talks with two eminent authorities on intersex who are intersex themselves. Dr. Georgianne Davis, Assistant Professor of Sociology at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and the Board President of Interact advocates for intersex youth, and Dr. Carrie Gabriel-Costello, associate professor at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee and the coordinator of the LGBT studies program there.
what terminology do we use to describe intersex people? And is there a word for people who aren't intersex, similar to cisgender for non-transgender people? Carrie. The correct term to use would be intersex. And the, a person who is not intersex, I would refer to as endosex, E-N-D-O-S-E-X. So, Georgian, how would you define the term intersex? I would define intersex um, as an individual having a combination of what are considered stereotypically male and female sex uh, characteristics that deviate from what we would normally expect. For example, I was born um, with an intersex trait uh, referred to as complete androgen insensitivity syndrome. And that means that I was born with an outward female appearance, but inside, instead of having ovaries, a uterus, and fallopian tubes, I was born with testes and XY chromosomes, and I didn't have a uterus. I didn't have ovaries or fallopian tubes. Carrie? I would add one thing, yes. And that is that there are an array of different traits. And our sex characteristics include chromosomes, they include external genitalia, they include internal reproductive organs, they include gonads, and each one of those can vary independently. So there's not just one type of way that people can be intersex, there's many different ways that people are intersex. And it's good to be aware going into things that we come in a really wide spectrum of bodies. Carrie, would you say that what qualifies being intersex is universally agreed on, or are there differing definitions? Yes, there are definitely differing definitions, but the main distinction is between what intersex advocates would use and then people in the medical profession who would give us a wide variety of diagnoses and would classify them differently. So a person who has, say, an atypical level of sex hormones might be classified sometimes by doctors as intersex and sometimes as a man or woman with hypo or hyper gonadism. From an intersex advocacy perspective, all of us with intermediate sex traits are all equally intersex. Georgian? There's so many different intersex traits that exist, and there's a lot of disagreement especially across uh, different stakeholders, whether it's uh, medical providers or intersex activists or advocates, about if a particular characteristic or trait does count as intersex. And I think just even the fact that we're debating that is really kind of scary, at least to me. I think that I'm, for one, am not one to want to sort of determine one's intersex uh, status, but let an individual themselves determine their own status based on their own markers. About how common is being intersex? I think we have estimates that range anywhere from one in 150 um, people, live births, to one in 2,000. It really just depends on how and what one is classifying as intersex. And some of the same people offer these drastically different estimates of intersex in the population. So what I always say is that intersex is common enough that I'm confident that every single person on this planet has met someone who is intersex. Now, whether or not that person themselves know they were intersex because of the lies and the secrecy and shame is another issue. Or if that person feels comfortable identifying themselves as intersex. Those are other stories. But I do know everyone on this planet has met someone who is intersex. The decisions about excluding whole sectors of people with intermediate sex traits from the 
official medical definition of intersexuality has nothing to do with the logic of bodies and everything to do with fear and an attempt to erase intersexuality. If we were living in a world in which no one was ashamed to either be themselves intersex or to acknowledge that their child is born intersex, that we would see a much larger number of people being classified by doctors and other professionals as intersex. Um, but the attempt has been to try and minimize that number and to erase us. And that's seen as an appropriate and good thing for our own protection, that we should not be classified as intersex if at all possible. So, Carrie, since you're both intersex and transgender, how do those two identities relate? The first thing I would say is that intersex is not an identity. Intersex is a description of the body. So let's say you have a person who is born with external genitalia that we usually consider male, and inside they have a uterus and ovaries. That person would be intersex no matter how they identify. Their gender identity, though, well, nobody would know what that is unless you ask them. Maybe they would identify as a man or a woman or as a non-binary person. The main thing that we have in common as intersex and trans people is that we agree that genitals don't determine gender. So our bodies don't determine how we identify. And um, an intersex person could have any gender identity. But being intersex itself is not a matter of identity. It's a matter of how our bodies are constituted. Can you tell us about the term ipsogender that you suggested and why it's necessary? The reason that I use the term ipsogender myself when I am talking about people is that all of us who are born intersex are born neither male nor female. But that is not an option on birth certificates in the U.S., as of yet. And so children are classified and put into a binary sex. That means none of us are given a sex marker that matches our bodies at birth. So calling somebody cisgender when the marker on their ID does not match the sex status of their body at birth is strange. On the other hand, it's also very strange to call somebody transgender if, say, they're assigned female at birth and they grow up and identify as a woman, calling them transgender would not describe their experience either. So the term ipsogender is a term we use just when we're talking about intersex people. Today, it would seem that a majority of people living today in the U.S. who are intersex are willing to live in the sex they were assigned at birth. So there are probably substantially more trans people among intersex folks than there are among endosex folks, but your average person who is intersex is going to be living in the sex they were assigned at birth. And we want a term for that that is not cisgender or transgender, because it's neither of those experiences. So that's why we use the term ipsogender when talking about intersex folks who identify with the binary sex they were put into at birth. So Georgian, when did you find out that you were intersex and how? I was diagnosed with intersex or that I was intersex when I was about 13 years old. And that happened because I was running around outside with my brother and uh, our friends, and I was having abdominal pain. And my mother initially was thinking that I was getting my period and she needed to have that talk with me. So she brought me inside. And 
when she started talking to me and I explained to her that wasn't what was happening. I wasn't getting my period. That's when she got scared. And she let me go back outside and I continue to play with my friends and my brother. And then when the pain didn't go away, she got increasingly alarmed. So she took me to an urgent care center and they um, did all sorts of tests on me to figure out if maybe there was something wrong with something like an ovary was rupturing. They didn't know they were doing all these tests. And in the process of doing all these tests, they discovered that nothing was wrong with me. That pain that I had was just, you know, cramping from muscle pain or what have you. It wasn't at all related. So they discovered nothing was wrong with me. But in the process of discovering that, they discovered that I had testes internally and um, I did not have a uterus. I did not have ovaries, and they also discovered that I had XY chromosomes later than a little later. I wasn't told the truth about my diagnosis when I was um, at that urgent care center. I was told that I wouldn't be able to have biological children, and I, I recall not being very upset about that because you know, I was 13 or something. I wanted a dog. I didn't want kids, but I later you know, had surgery to remove those testes. I thought they were removing cancerous ovaries. That's what I was told. Um, and then when I was about 19 or so, I obtained my medical records and uh, I read through it and there's a, everything, a lot of it was redacted. And, but, you know, I was able to read through the black Sharpie and I, I could see things that XY chromosomes, I could read things about being lied to and, and they knew that. And I read thing about t uh, testes being removed from my body, and, and I really got freaked out. And freaked out not so much about what I was reading per se, but about the fact that people lied to me, my, my family, right? My doctors, my doctors I actually looked up to, and, and my family I, I love and, uh, of course, you know, still do. But I just didn't understand why people would lie to me, and, I, and I, it was just this unfamiliar sort of experience. And I threw out my medical records, never wanting to talk about it again, and then eventually as I moved forward with my education in sociology and started reading a little bit more about gender and about bodies and everything else, I became more comfortable with it and revisited the experience. And since then, I sort of bridged my personal experience with uh, intersex and my professional desires to sort of understand inequalities in society. How did finding out that you were intersex change your understanding of sex or gender? Learning about my own experience with intersex opened my eyes to seeing that what I believed was a simple phenomenon that people are either male or female is way more complicated than that and how those gendered expectations are imposed on us. So learning that I was intersex really opened my eyes to understanding and appreciating the natural variation that's found across so many species, especially, um, you know, humans. On the topic of that, if so, gender would essentially be you, Georgian. So do you consider yourself cisgender? And do you think that if so, gender would be sort of a better alternative? Well, that's a great question. I identify as ipsogender more than identifying as cisgender. That probably wasn't the case my entire life. For one, the term ipsogender didn't exist. But also, I think I just wasn't really comfortable with thinking about myself being outside of a binary box that we all are forced into. For me, the issue is maybe less about the gender that we are assigned at birth. I certainly think gender is oppressive in many ways, but I don't think it's the job of intersex people 
or trans folks or especially children, right, to sort of fight these sort of uh, the oppression that is surrounds a gender as a larger structural system. I think it's all of our jobs, regardless of our genitalia, to sort of fight that. So for me, the issue is less about the gender that I was assigned at birth and more about the fact that as I aged and the diagnosis was discovered that my body was surgically modified to fit the gender that was assigned. And I'm not against surgical interventions or anything like that. I'm just myself personally and professionally, I'm just sort of frustrated with the fact that people's bodily autonomy is taken from them during that medicalization process. If I could interject? Yeah, absolutely. The problem, I would say, as an intersex and trans person is definitely not that surgeries exist. It's the question of who is given surgeries. And the problem for intersex people is having surgeries imposed on us without our ability to consent or to say, no, I don't want that because we're children. Even if we are old enough to say something that surgeries are performed and we are lied to about what's happening to try and conceal that intersex status from us. So as an intersex person, we're concerned about all of the negative effects of a surgery that somebody didn't want being forced on them. Whereas for trans folks, the autonomy issue is in the reverse. It's the issue of people seeking out medical interventions into their body and being denied them. What we have in common is that we all believe that there should be autonomy about the sexed body and that people should be able to decide for themselves, hey, do I want any interventions that would support the way that I identify and how my body functions? And if I don't want them, then nobody should force them on me. If I do want them, I should be able to access them. What I was just going to add is that I think it's really interesting, and, and I've studied this and I've published a paper on this, but that gets at the fundamental question of how is it that intersex people are subjected to interventions that they don't want, why trans folks have difficulty getting interventions they might want. And of course, these aren't mutually exclusive categories, right? As Carrie eloquently described earlier, there are intersex trans folks um, in the world, of course. But I think thinking about that distinction and why intersex folks are subjected to interventions and trans folks can't access them without jumping through hoops when those hoops are on fire and then there's glass there and everything else, it makes it so difficult. I think that really speaks to the power of, of the medical profession. So, Carrie, would you consider this kind of surgical intervention to be ill-advised? I believe that any surgery into the sex characteristics of a body that they have not been given full informed consent and that they have agreed to without any coercion, that's just not an acceptable thing to do to somebody else. So an example that I would give is imagine if a um, a parents had given birth to a, a child and it had a body that was, you know, that of an endosex male. And they said, the, we, we wanted a girl. And they go to a doctor and they say, hey, we just really wanted a girl. We're not comfortable with the sex traits of our, our baby. Please give my baby a sex change. Well, in our society, um, that's not permitted. You can't make that decision for somebody else. Don't go away. We'll be right back with a very special and shiny new TTV after this quick break. Benji the Bull, saved from the slaughterhouse, coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. In 2014, a bull in Ireland named Benji refused to impregnate any of the females in the herd. The local veterinarian declared it an issue of the bull's sexual orientation. 
You see, Benji was fertile but more interested in other bulls, so his owner was readying him to be slaughtered for meat. Coming to the rescue were the animal rights groups PETA of the U.S., Aaron of Ireland, together with Sam Simon, co-creator of the TV sitcom The Simpsons. They purchased Benji and paid for his transport to a sanctuary in England. Simon said that killing a gay bull for his meat would have been a double tragedy, adding, It thrills me to help PETA and Aaron make Benji's fate a sanctuary rather than a sandwich. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns at WRIR in Richmond, Virginia, and read by volunteers like me, Todd Ransom. Hello, I'm Trucker Patty, and you are listening to IMRU Radio Magazine. Researchers reel in male fish with female characteristics on this current cast. A recent study in Pennsylvania river basins turned up evidence of intersex fish, males carrying immature eggs. The result has raised concern about the widespread level of hormones in our waterways. Vicki Blazer was a research biologist with the U.S. Geological Survey. We use fish as an indicator that there is something we should be concerned about. This is something that is having effects on fish and probably other organisms as well. More research is needed to pinpoint the precise source of these estrogenic chemicals, but agricultural runoff seems to play a role since manure often contains hormones. Estrogen from the use of human birth control pills may also end up in wastewater. CurrentCast is produced in partnership with Cornell's Atkinson Center for a Sustainable Future. Learn more online at CurrentCast.org. Welcome back. I'm Frances O'Brien, and you're listening to IMRU Radio Magazine. On October 26, 1996, a group of intersex people and their allies traveled to Boston, Massachusetts to protest at the annual American Academy of Pediatrics conference. Their message was clear. Stop non-consensual infant genital mutilation surgeries, often referred to as IgM. Doctors dismissed the activists as a vocal minority. To mark that date in history, October 26th has become Intersex Awareness Day. Each year around the world, intersex people and their allies strive to make the world aware of the existence of intersex people and to put an end to IgM, the non-consensual cosmetic surgeries performed on intersex babies to make them look more male or female. In the coming weeks, we will air episodes from TTV in hopes of raising our intersex awareness. This is Vosh Bodhi with TTV. Talk to Vosh. I take you around the world to find interesting people in and affecting the LGBTQI communities. In this episode, we're continuing the ongoing series called The Intersex Interviews, where we meet people connected to the intersex community, each with their own unique perspectives and stories to share. I invite you to settle in as we continue to explore the I in LGBTQI right here on TTV. Talk to Vosh. Today, I'm taking you all the way to California to meet Edie Gito Meisner, a wife, a father, and an intersex person. My name is Edward Gito Meisner, but I usually go by Edie because it's less confusing. Edward is definitely a masculine name. How did you yes. get that name? 
when I was born, they had expected me to be male. This is sort of the story of being intersex in general. They have expectations for you. You don't fit them. They kind of try to cram you into there. And part of that was that they did not change my name. I remained named after my father and was expected to grow up to be a boy. And things did not quite go the way that they were thinking. Would you give me your definition of what it means to be intersex? Being intersex means that you are an unexpected combination of genotype and phenotype. So normally, physically, humans come in two big groups of the more male and the more female. And then there are people who are outside these ranges, people who are extra female or extra male, and then people who are combinations of, of elements. One's genotype is the instructions written in each of your cells for how your body is to be created. The final form is the phenotype and the IKEA sheet for how to put this together is the genotype. And as you can imagine, the one does not always necessarily make the other. Furthermore, the genotype can be very complex, much more so than the karyotype, which is your mirror XY, XX. And those details can express themselves in unexpected bodies. There are a lot of different ways that one can arrive at it. Sometimes these are caused by a genetic mutation or they have an unusual genotype like XXY, wherein the unusual appearance of XXYs, for instance, is normal for them. That's the way that their genotype expresses. You're not certain what your intersex variation is. That's correct. I do not know. How do you know you're intersex? That is a very good question. In my case, I knew for a certainty after I realized you only have one appendix. So if you have multiple appendectomy scars on both sides, that means that there was something else going on. And if someone tells you that it was an appendectomy, they're lying. Eventually, I was able to get a doctor when I was about 30-ish who I was able to ask, what's the explanation for this? And this is like, oh, this looks like assignment surgery. You've been assigned into the sex you are. From that point, I kind of went on this quest, you might say, to try to find who had rebuilt me. I found my own obstetrician who delivered me. He was like, we did what we thought was best at the time. We now know that it was wrong, but I was not the one who did that. It would have been between your parents and your pediatricians to connect you with a specialist. And of course, my father took the secret to his grave and my mother is in denial about it. So um, I don't suppose that I'll ever know what I am. I know that I must be XY because I can reproduce and I reproduce with other women. I've had baselines taken for my different sex hormones and stuff. And my baselines are somewhere in between male and female. Like I have not enough testosterone naturally to be male, but more than other women do. And likewise, I have more estrogen than men do, but not normally as much as other women do. I don't know what would cause that exactly. And my doctors were like, oh, that's interesting. And I was like, well, can we do more tests and find out? And they're like, mm, is it going to put you in the hospital? Because otherwise, you know, we're not in the business of curiosity. So non-consensual gender assignment surgeries are called IGM or infant genital mutilation. What surgeries were performed on you as a child? What I suspect that they did was to rearrange my external genitals, close up parts that were open, separate parts that were fused. I think that's where the central scars are from. And then I think the side scarring is from them opening me up to get to my ovaries, which are actually testes, and then move them down into the scrotum that they had made for me. You know, I look like this, obviously, but I have an internal penis that can deploy, basically, and a small scrotum with testicles in it. Talk to me about what it was like growing up. 
it was rough at times. There was a, an aura of taboo. I don't know how to put it. It's like people would seek me out to prove their disassociation by treating me cruelly, by trying to beat me up, by throwing things at me uh, from passing cars, things like that. I do feel like I grew a lot as a person from having an outsider perspective. I've always had unusual opinions about like sexual dimorphism and so on, because I did not find myself to be strange. I found everyone else to be strange, especially when I got to puberty, all of my male friends were like, you know, become these giant monsters. And I just remained myself. I did not feel like I was a part of everyone else's biology. My mother, she would just say things like, oh, some young men are like that. And it's like, so far as I know, no young men are like this. My mother would be like, oh, no, you'll always be my son. I'm like, you're the only one who sees me that way. Even though there were a lot of people who were cruel, I was very lucky to have a wonderful set of friends and a wonderful girlfriend who made me feel loved and worthwhile. So you are married? Yes. Yes, I just got married. Bride and bride. And you have children? Yes. I have one by a previous marriage and then two in this marriage. How were you able to achieve children? It turns out that one doesn't need to be more male than I am in order to reproduce. I've often thought to myself that if I do ever somehow meet the person who reconstructed me, I want to, one, slap their face, and two, shake their hand because they did a fantastic job of, you know, invading and invalidating my body. But nevertheless, for what they meant to do of making me male, I guess they nailed that part, at least. To your knowledge, is the intersex experience hereditary? Neither of my parents were intersex, but it does seem like my son is. He does have an absolutely massive hydrocele. And in place of where one would normally have a penis, he just has a little foreskin that sticks out of the front of his belly. If you palpate him through the belly, you can feel that it's there. To some degree, it's probably very small, but then he is a baby. We are considering addressing the hidden internal penis, but only in a non-surgical way because really um, I see no reason to let anybody cut on him. And in fact, like we were challenged by that because they were like, oh, your baby only has a scrotum. Your baby doesn't have a penis. Uh, What's going on with that? And I was like, well, I'm the father. So, and they're like, no, 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 we need the actual father. I was like, when I say that I'm the genetic father, I mean that literally. So leave him alone. And thankfully they were respectful of that and didn't try to snatch him away and start cutting on him to please themselves. So, you know, bullet dodged as far as that's concerned. How would you define gender and where would you put yourself? That's tricky because I consider myself to be intergender. That is, I consider myself to be the gender that matches my sex, but my sex is itself not usual. But I don't have any better words for it because our society is not built around the acknowledgement of intersex people. There's this campaign to change us and to hide us and to conceal the fact that we exist, especially that we exist in such large numbers as we do. And this is kind of goes to why I encourage other people to call me Edie, because I want to not make things more difficult for myself than they have to be. And I know that there is a certain degree of cowardice in this, that by creating passing privilege for myself, I am making myself less political. Because of that, I do consider it my obligation to out myself all the time and to tell people what I am because they can't see it. So I struggle with feeling that I've become less true to myself by compromising, but a certain degree of compromise is perhaps unavoidable.
Based on your particular variation, what do you think medical intervention should be? I appreciate that they made me able to reproduce. I would probably not be able to if my uh, testes were still up here uh, because they'd be too hot. So I'm glad that they did that part. And then I suppose if they needed to make something to put those in, then I guess it's good that they did that part. I think they probably could have done without doing whatever they did to me center line. Other than that, I would guess that that was probably to do what in FTMs is called a metoidoplasty, where the clitoris slash penis is separated from the body so that it can, you know, come out and be its own little thing and do its own thing. I think they probably could have left that alone, honestly. Um, if it was hypospadias, they could have left alone. Because when yes. you think of hypospadias, I mean, it's way more common than people would think. Oh, yes, it's absolutely. In fact, a lot of people like, wouldn't even think of it as being an intersex variation, although it absolutely is. But I think that some of that is political, that people don't want to consider certain common things like PCOS or hypospadias to be intersex. Because if they did, they're like, well, then, you know, it's like one in 100 instead of one in 5,000. Like, we are everywhere. And it's honestly perfectly normal most of the time. So as a general rule, you shouldn't perform surgeries on people without their consent unless it's actually medically necessary to do so at this time. There are many flaws, moral and otherwise, with doing assignment surgeries on intersex children. But one of them is that they always forget if your genitals are altered, that doesn't cover all the rest of the body, which is still also going to be affected. And it's obscene that people would invade a toddler that way to make these decisions for them for the rest of their life just to satisfy the aesthetics of the people who have power over you to do it, which is uh, an unspeakable crime that somehow most people don't know about because they've been so successful at hiding us that honestly, like most people that I meet have no idea what I am. If I, if I tell them, which I try to, then they're like, oh, is that like transgender? Or, or I once had one think that I was bisexual. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, I am incidentally, but that's not, <laughs> that's not why. When I asked you to define gender and your gender, you sort of said that you're kind of outside of gender, which then makes me wonder, how do you define a sexuality? You're right, that defining myself as gay or straight or bisexual requires me to also define myself as something. It's a strange, uncomfortable thing. Like, everybody sees me and my partner as being lesbians. If I called myself that, even if everyone sees me that way, that defines me as a gender and traditionally also as a sex, aside from simply who, you know, who I love and who I happen to love. And of course, it also counts as bisexual erasure because it's not as if I haven't had boyfriends. It's just that I haven't had any boyfriends in the past 20 years. Neither have I, really. Okay. <laughs> when you ask me, like, what gender I am, it's like, well, I know what gender I do. I've made a conscious decision to do a gender because if I don't, I don't fit in. For example, this is terribly unfair, but people don't really like for men to have a strong interest in children. I love my kids. I adore them and I love being around them and I love carrying them around and everything. But for reasons good or none, other moms are often not comfortable with men being around their kids or around even their own kids. So there's a reason why I'd want to blend in with other moms, even if it requires me to be a little dishonest with myself about wanting to present as this binary gender so that it all blend in and people will think I'm a perfectly ordinary cis woman. 
which they usually do. There is something to be said for the gender that is within oneself. I feel like until you can realize that inner self outside of yourself and have it be acknowledged and recognized by other people, it is a torment. Do you have an intersex community? I wish I did. The lack of community, honestly, is a real problem because we come to know ourselves as individuals. We don't know that anyone else is like us until we have some sign of them. And that sign is often them being focused on by society for reasons that are usually not great. The analogy I like to use is to imagine that one is a submarine patrolling the North Sea somewhere. And in the darkness far away, you can hear that there's another but you can never meet them because you only hear them being depth charged. So we don't normally meet each other. What wisdom would you give to a non-intersex parent who has an intersex child? It's important to understand that you can only deal with the hand that is dealt to you. Whether or not you change your child by force, as kindly as you are able, they will still be intersex. We cannot force nature to take the form that we want it to. That's not how biology works. So leave them be and then work towards a society by whatever means, direct action, democracy, whatever, that will let them make that choice when they're able to make that choice. Or perhaps to choose nothing is also perfectly normal. So although you might regret that your child is intersex, you might wish that it wasn't so. And many of us also wish that it wasn't so. But you can't stop it. You can only make it easier on them. And changing them without their say-so does not make it easier on them. And that's another difficulty. Do you believe that intersex people belong in the LGBTQI initialism? In a perfect world, we would not need to be. I think that we are fundamentally different, but we're all really after the same thing, which is to let people be as they are without prejudice or mistreatment. We all share that goal. When you envision a future for the next generations of intersex people, what does that look like? The future that I would like to see is one where you are not forced into a role by society based on the way that you look or the way that your genes read out on a genetic assay. I would like for people to be respectful of the bodily autonomy of children. But I imagine one further on than that, where my mother would be correct in a way, where someone would look at me and say, that is just how they are. Are you at peace with your body and your spirit right now? In myself, I'm happy. The things that I wish were different are things that are interactions between myself and society. I just wish that there was more room for me. This has been a really great conversation, Edie. I'm very happy to, to help. You've been listening to TTV, Talk to Vosh. My guest has been Edie Gito Meisner, wife, father, and intersex individual. If you'd like to help put an end to infant genital mutilation, please contact your local representative and let them know you demand intersex protections. For more information or to see this interview in its entirety, please visit justvosh.wordpress.com. I am Vosh Bodhi. Remember, if you have a story to tell, TTV, Talk. Tavash. It's surprising how little gays and lesbians understand even the trans experience, let alone that of intersex people. How can we expect straight people to understand being gender variant when so few in the LGB community do? So be thoughtful, be aware, and spread the word. Okay, that's it for tonight. I'm Frances O'Brien. Our thanks to IMRU's executive producer, Steve Pride. 
and Rainbow Minute producers Judd Proctor and Brian Burns. Please follow us on Facebook at IMRU Radio. And if you're interested in volunteering with IMRU in any capacity, email public at prideonscreen.com. And a reminder, we're a global podcast as well as a show broadcast by KPFK Los Angeles. And you can always hear our weekly show posted to kpfk.org. Also catch us at iTunes, Spotify, Breaker, Anchor.fm, CastBox, and Pocket Casts. I'm Frances O'Brien in Los Angeles. Look me up at relieveyourmind.com. So long, and thanks for listening. My mama told me when I was young that we're all born superstars. She rolled my hair and put my lipstick on in the glass of her boudoir There's nothing wrong with loving who you are She said, cause he made you perfect, babe So hold your head up, girl, and you'll go far Listen to me when I say I'm beautiful in my way Cause God makes no mistakes I'm on the right track, baby, I was Prudence and love your friends. Subway kid, rejoice your truth. In the religion of the insecure, I must be myself, respect my youth. A different lover is not a sin, believe. Capital H, I am. Hey, 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 I love my life, I love this record. And mi amore vole yeah I'm beautiful in my way Cause God makes no mistakes I'm on the right track Baby, I was born this way Don't hide yourself in regret Just love yourself and you're sad I'm on the right track Baby, I was born this way Ooh, there ain't no other way Baby, I was born this way Baby, I was born this way there ain't no other way Baby, I was born I'm on the right track And baby, I was born this way I was born this way Cause God makes no mistakes I'm on the right track Baby, I was born this way Don't hide yourself in regret Just love yourself and you're sad I'm on the right track And baby, I was born this way I'm beautiful in my way Cause God makes no mistakes I'm on the right track Baby, I was born this way Don't hide yourself in regret Just love
ride, dragon, baby, I want